0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Perceptive Podcast, here on Game Wisdom, where we examine the art and science of games. As always, I am Josh Beiser, and we have a great cast for you tonight. We're going to be discussing one of the more surprising games I had a chance to play that I fell in love with, and that is the Cook, Serve, Delicious series a series that's built around managing a restaurant without you having to well you not having to learn anything related to cooking or serving food. And my guest tonight, he is the owner of the studio as well as the lead designer or creator of the series. So, please welcome to the podcast from Vertigo Gaming, David Galindo. Hey, nice to be here. Thank you very much. No problem, David. It's great to have you on. How are you doing on this, well, where I'm at, very warm, May afternoon?
1: Oh, I'm doing pretty good.
0: It is great to have you on, and just to start with, I definitely want to congratulate you on the success of the Cook, Serve, Delicious series. I know there are a lot of my friends, I'm sure there's plenty of fans out there who just love the craziness of dealing with the rush hours and all that.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been really neat to see uh, fans responding to the game all over again. It's been great.
0: hmm And for those of you listening to it right now, Cook's Serve Delicious 2 has been out for several months, and David is planning, I believe you said, it's a free expansion to the game in June. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yes, that's right. The barista update
0: is what we're calling it. Cool. And we'll be talking a little bit more in detail about that later on in our cast. But to get things started with, for people who haven't heard of Cook, Serve, Delicious or Vertigo Gaming, could you talk a little bit about yourself, David, and kind of your background when it comes to the game industry?
1: Sure. Um, Well, I've been making games for a long time now. I'm 32, but I started back when I was in, gosh, junior high, just (laughs) making free games and not really expecting much of it. But... The more I leaned into it, the more I wanted to make it a career for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, that kind of started with one of my older games called the oil blue. And, um, that one didn't really take off very well. So I had one more game I wanted to make. And I thought, well, if this game doesn't take off, then I'm going to have to get like an actual job because, you know, I was kind of running out of funds and I didn't really have a whole lot of money to begin with. And, uh, I had been making these free uh, fan games of a game called Orno Ryori, and uh, it's a Japanese cooking game. And uh, I had made two of those games uh, for free on PC, and I thought, oh, what if I can just make it into something of my own, and maybe try and have that be my practically my last uh, commercial release. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I did, and uh, it just exploded from there. And uh, since then, we I've made uh, Cookster Delicious 2, and have some other projects in the works that I uh, can't wait to announce sometime in the future.
0: Awesome. Before we go further, David, if you wouldn't mind, you are coming just a little bit low on my end again. If you could maybe just raise up the volume just like a little bit, that would be great. Okay, sure. How's that? A little bit more, if you wouldn't mind, please. Okay. Uh, how about now? That's cool. that any? Okay. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. No problem. All right. Three two one yep it's great to hear about the success of cook serve delicious Dave and it's always very interesting to talk to in the developers especially about the work that goes into these games and I think it's very fascinating because you're not the only one I've spoken to about this David that you've had obviously several games before cook serve delicious you mentioned the fan games you did and what was the oil game I'm sorry Yeah, it was called the Oil Blue. Oil Blue, got it. And this is one of the things I think a lot of consumers and people who are first-timers don't quite understand, that just because you have one game that kind of breaks down and becomes your big hit, doesn't mean that's the only game you've worked on. And I know it can be very disheartening for a lot of new developers about you know when your games aren't succeeding that well. So I guess... Like, from, like, the work you've done on your previous games and with Cook Serve Delicious, I'm sure this is a question, like, any students or enthusiasts may, who are listening may be wondering. I guess, how did you push through to keep working on games, despite the unfortunate not getting, like, the big sales with your first few ideas?
1: Um, it was... I was mainly doing it out of love of game creating, mm-hmm. and once those didn't sell i just thought well i i know i have something here because a few one writer in particular mike rose he wrote about the oil blue and he loved it and uh it didn't sell very well i made maybe two thousand dollars off of it Mm -hmm. and i thought um you know he he sees something in it that that inspired me and i thought i i want to keep going i want to keep making games and um I was basically supplementing my game making with my income as like being a barista and being uh just working on other jobs. And, uh you know, it, it's you have to push hard and you have to believe in yourself. But in the same way, I feel like if Cooks or Delicious didn't take off, honestly, I probably wouldn't have my heart in it anymore because it is disparaging to yeah. be in a way kind of rejected. Um Back then it was. Now, it's so much more commonplace to to not succeed because there's just so much competition that, I don't know, it doesn't feel quite as alien as it used to. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea that you can put yourself out there because there wasn't that much competition. Uh, certainly not as as much as there is today
0: for sure and you are definitely not the only developer i've spoken to who thinks that way david i've it's definitely become a very interesting and i think very depressing market for a lot of developers these days because as you just said in back in like 2011 2012 there weren't as many games on steam steam of course obviously blew up but it's it was nowhere near what it was today and oh sure Like, I say this all the time to people that just because, like, even if you do everything right, sadly that doesn't translate into your game doing well. And it's, if you follow, like, any, any developers on Twitter, I, They always talk about this issue, and it is a very serious concern about trying to make a living on these games, especially when you are making something that's both passionate, something that you really want to make, and something that's very unique that there really isn't anything else on the market to judge it – excuse me, to judge it by.
1: Right. And honestly, um, when I get people that hear what I do, um, they get all excited and they tell me, oh, my son wants to get into game making. Mm -hmm. Uh, he wants to make it a job and, and part of me just wants to tell him, uh, don't, don't, don't do it. Like, you're gonna, you're expecting a lot to even think that you can make it a job because it is so difficult as far as making it as an indie developer mm-hmm. on your own. Uh, if you want to get into the industry, that's a whole other thing. That's a much safer and easier path. Not that it's easy to make a game with a company, but that's a more secure, mm-hmm. um, type of job. So it's, not, it's, it's just, it's so hard. It is so much harder than it used to be. And I was very lucky I came in when I did.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's only one of those topics that we could, I'm sure we could dedicate many more podcasts to, unfortunately. And it's just, I think when it comes to the independence space, like, as you said, everybody is trying to make their own unique game. And, from what you say regarding your passion for Cook, Serve, Delicious and for your other titles, that can drive people to just keep going. But when there's only so many hours in a day and so much money for the consumer to spend, it's very hard to figure out what game should I invest my time and money into this month. Oh, sure. But uh, with that said, I guess let's try to get back to a little. at least some a little bit more happier topics for the cast. <laughs> And talk a little bit more about Cook, Serve, Delicious. Now, as you said a few minutes ago, this was kind of a spin-off or an evolution from a fan-made game that you were designing, right?
1: Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, the uh, Japanese classic, the Ouro no Ryori game.
0: All right. Now, for people who haven't heard of that, are they both like similar in structure or were there elements that you did not include from that fan game?
1: Um, they are in the sense of how the game is displayed on screen. Um, but past that, I, it was more of like a fun type of twin stick game, the original classic, because it was released on PlayStation. Mm -hmm. And I kind of turned mine into a more, uh, faster keyboard challenge type game. Um, and so where the skill of Orno Riori came from, how you were chopping those ingredients, how well you are doing. Uh, it was more of like a little more leisurely pace. are uh, Delicious is much more intense and much more... Uh, uh, it's just kind of different
2: in, in its own way. I,
1: I like the speed and the challenge that it brings. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I was going from the first game to the second game, which is even faster and crazier.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> I guess one of the more interesting aspects of Cook, Serve, Delicious, again, is abstracting the nature of cooking into the, as you said, the key pressing challenges. Making sure you're hitting the right orders, you're hitting, you're mashing the buttons, you're doing whatever the specific um, recipe demands of you. When it came to designing the overall development of Cook, Serve, Delicious and into Cook, Serve, Delicious 2 – was that kind of gameplay kind of set from the start or did you have to do any like major iterations to t- kind of get to where it is today?
1: Iterations as far as how how to cook food or how Yes, yeah, to- like
0: the general like game system of doing of setting up the recipes and then performing the commands.
1: It was mostly first seeing how a food is prepared and then figuring out on my end what makes sense and tying it as close to reality as I could before I kind of uh, balance it for gameplay purposes. So there are a few steps, um, that are missing here and there from different foods, like, um, making the pizza, but you don't actually see the final product. Normally you would just cut it, uh, cut it up. And I actually had that plan, but the flow wasn't very good. And I thought, I'm just not going to worry about it. And, uh, I would always focus more toward the gameplay aspect of it. And um, the complexity of the second one allowed me to kind of make different kinds of uh, prepping, which is what I call like uh, prepping foods, getting ready for them to cook, and just have the player being able to make it faster in multiple orders because normally you wouldn't make a corn dog <laughs> on its own, you would make multiple. So it was, uh, I was able to really balance it a little bit better and make it a little more realistic for the second one. But mostly it's just gameplay fun that I, that I really strive for.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, with the actual commands, again, for those of you listening to this who haven't played the game yet, it can get very crazy in terms of some of the more advanced dishes you can make. When coming up with the various, I guess, key commands, how did you settle on like, what each uh, menu item required from the player? Um,
1: well, I had a really good team that volunteered and helped me to balance the keys because there's only so many letters that we can use on the keyboard. And, uh, with the sequel, I was able to have eight keys displayed at once and you have 24 possible ingredients. So I was able to use multiple keys of the same letter, but, um, it was still getting very complicated. Like, I think. Um, and the first game tomato might've been like Y or something, <laughs> the letter Y, I don't remember. It was, it was not T, don't think. And then in this one, uh, it is mostly T across the foods, but you would get into these weird situations where I'd, I'd have to balance out the pages of ingredients and it got really complicated and especially with the, how many foods we have in the sequel. <laughs> so I was able to have people kind of keep track of the letters, balance out what makes sense and. We got it as close as we could. I'm pretty happy with it. You can always rebind the keys if it still doesn't look right, but that was extremely complex, a lot more than you think. And uh it wouldn't be so bad if you're trying to also keep it universal across the whole mm. game. And if it wasn't for uh, the people that helped out and uh beta tested the game before it came out I, I couldn't have done it uh, nearly as well as it was
0: mm-hmm. yeah and as someone who played through most of the first one and got part way through to the second game it can get very crazy especially in terms of kind of breaking your own thinking. Because as you said in the first one, a lot of the ingredients weren't the keys weren't tied to the ingredient. So yeah, I think I do remember like tomato being Y. I think there was something else I was like Z. Like it gets very crazy in terms of basically just like splitting your focus three different ways, or probably being more so when you start throwing in the additional options and challenges.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. It, it got really weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, another aspect of Cook Served Delicious I want to touch on, and this is one thing I think some fans have been discussing regarding making the jump from one to two, is more of the restaurant sim aspect of the game. Now, for people listening who don't know what we're talking about, in the first game, you had control, obviously, over what your menu was for that day. But you can, of course, upgrade your various prep stations. You can add more recipes. You can basically have some control. It's not exactly a full, you know, business management game. But it did definitely add a little bit to it. And I guess for you, David... What did you decide in terms of the management side when it came to Cook, Serve, Delicious and then expanding on that in Cook, Serve, Delicious 2? Um,
1: I like the idea of doing having a management portion and then the gameplay portion. Um, I didn't want to make it overly complex. I felt like that would have made the game a little too much of everything. Um because I know there were some people that wanted maybe limited ingredients, and you'd have to refill your ingredients uh, after the day is finished and pay for that, and and um, so the management was very loose uh, in the first game. And the second game, I felt like I wanted to get away from that even more and make it much more of a gameplay-oriented uh, mm-hmm. focus. And looking back on it now, I mean. I can understand why people felt like that might have been a mistake. A lot of people liked the new um, focus on gameplay and Mm -hmm. having over 350 levels and stuff, and other people just weren't having it. They wanted the same kind of management style from the first game, which uh, wasn't there at launch Mm -hmm. uh, for the sequel. And so it's been interesting to hear what people want out of the game. Um, I don't know if I've nailed it with either game, I don't know really where to where I would take it uh but that was always kind of a nebulous thing that I don't know if I've ever got right and what how I would improve on it like I I just don't want to focus too much on it Mm -hmm. but I know a lot of people would like um just a more deeper management type of simulator and I don't know if Conservalicious is is the game for something like that. Mm.
0: It's hard to say. Yeah, and that is a very interesting point, David. And it's one that I was thinking about after I played Serve Delicious 2 and thinking back into the first game. Because another major aspect that was changed between the two was how you evolve your restaurant. And I know this is one point that I know for myself I started to feel the grind, but I know a lot of other people commented on. In the first game, you had the whole... Uh, you had the different objectives in order to raise your restaurant from you know zero stars, to one, two, and so on. And mm-hmm. a lot of people felt that it was too uh, prohibitive at the start. That even if you complete all the objectives, you still had to go you know, 15, 20 more days before you get to the next rank. And oh, sure. It, it's very tricky, I think, for a game like Cook, Serve, Delicious, and just like any game in general – in terms of how you want your progression curve to go in the title, because while, yes, the player is still doing the same thing over and over again, it's very tricky when they don't feel like they're making all that much progress, you know, when the carrot on the stick has been moved a little too far away. Mm
1: -hmm. I agree, and um, that was my major problem I had with the first game. I wanted to do away with all of that. And in doing so, you know, again, I feel like I nailed it uh, when it launched I, for the sequel, I mean, um, because I got rid of all that and I had a more kind of like an XP leveling type of thing where you just keep playing and you level up. And I had figured that I, I had kind of perfected the, the the way of progression, and I certainly didn't. <laughs> a lot of people didn't like that. A lot of people wanted the objectives back. And you know, I, I talk like the game's fifty fifty. It's really not. Uh, you know, it has an eighty seven percent rating on Steam, but the first game has a ninety five percent rating.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I always have to wonder um, what is the best way to progress in a game that I, that is a sandbox type of loose kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first game wasn't quite like that, and I think the second game was too open ended. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I I enjoy the way each of them does it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to talk too negatively <laughs> about my game, you know. Yeah, it's hard not to do that when you're a developer because you always think, oh man, did, it, did I do the right thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I um yeah, I get I get what you mean though. The first game it was pretty harsh, and it was even worse before it was released. Uh, mm-hmm. there was it would increased the number of days you had to complete every star you went. So I think the last star that you needed to finish the game was something like 60 days <laughs> of service. And I thought, oh, man, I can just put 40 hours of gameplay on here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the beta testers didn't have that. They they hated it. And uh, I cut it down to where now you only have to, I think, play maybe 20, 20 25 hours to beat it. Mm-hmm. And it feels better. Mm-hmm. It's still a grind, but it was even worse before
0: I released it. Hmm. and if we had the time today we could probably spend like the next 30 minutes or an hour talking about that kind of getting the progression curve just right because that is certainly a very fascinating topic for game design now, oh, sure a one thing i wanted to touch on with you is about the overall difficulty of the game now we mentioned of course setting up the various key commands a few minutes ago but in terms of i guess Balancing the game or who the game was aimed for. Did you always have the idea to, I wouldn't say it's like super hardcore, at least in the cooking side, but it can still be very intensive to play. Was that always your intention from like your first idea for the series?
1: I didn't expect it. Um, I was mainly building a game for myself because I like hard games and I like challenges and uh, I went into that with a cooking game, with the first game. And um, I think a lot of people were disarmed by it. They saw the cutesy art style, and it was a cooking game, and they didn't think anything of it. And when they played it, uh, it's very much intended that you fail the first day because you don't expect the rush hour. You don't know how to get all the orders, and uh, you will experience the hardest part of the game right away. Twice in one day, actually. So, um, I like that. I kind of like that aspect of catching people off guard. For some people, right away, they would, uh, I saw maybe one or two reviews were like, oh, this game's too hard. I, I don't know why I downloaded it. But other people are kind of intrigued by that because they're like, why did, how could this game beat me? I was expecting like this casual, fun little simulator (laughs) and I just had my, you know, I couldn't handle it. And so they would get better and they would try and beat it. They, Felt like the challenge, they weren't expecting it, but they were ready to meet it. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy the uh, seeing at PAX when we uh, did the expo a few weeks ago uh, the diverse number of uh, both gender and age that, that really enjoyed the game. And I think that yeah. speaks to how well cha- just making a challenging game and not expecting, not, not aiming for a particular audience. Because that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do a casual, simple game. Uh, I wanted to make a very challenging game. If you were ready for the challenge, I wanted to meet you with it. And um, it's been really fascinating to see people respond to that. Because I don't think enough games do that, really.
0: hmm Yeah. And challenging these types of games can be very tricky to balance. Because if you make things too hard, it can feel like you're just hitting the player over the head with it. And with a game like Cook, Serve, Delicious, and of course the sequel, there really isn't all that much that the game does to really make it easier on the player. Now, the first game with the more the management side, you could get, you know, a better dishwasher, better trash, stuff like that. But when it came to the second game, it really was just about if you can't get your hands or you're not good at typing fast enough, you really can't get all that far in the game.
1: Yeah, like, the progression never stops, Uh, Mm -hmm. so if you don't do well, it's just going to take you longer to get to the other levels. But um, it is a much, much more intense experience for the sequel, to the point where I sometimes wonder if I went too far, because (laughs) uh, you can get all golds by perfecting each day. And, um, you know, having perfect days in the first game was nice, but it wasn't really a requirement. And in this game, it's the sequel. It wasn't a requirement either, but to have gold medals show up on screen, I think that's always something people want to strive mm-hmm. for. And immediately that makes it so much more challenging. Um, that I certainly don't expect anybody to get all golds, but <laughs> maybe a few dozen people will meet that challenge. And I don't even have achievements for it because I don't want anybody to <laughs> go out of the, but certainly I feel like I've made the difficulty that much harder. And in a way, it's great for those that have played the game since the first game, but I think it's also limiting um, when I want to bring a new audience to it. Uh, and it, maybe it could have been softer, I guess, maybe, for those that are new to the game, the sequel at least, because I do see a lot of people that say, I recommend playing the first game first because the sequel pretty much expects that you have that perfect.
2: Mm-hmm. and
1: I can see where they're coming from. They're probably right. And that's more of a mistake as me as like a developer assuming things about the audience because uh, I had never made a sequel before. So that was pretty interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. And speaking about that jump from Cooks Are Delicious to the sequel, um, I, I have a few questions for you there, but there's one other thing that I want to touch on really quickly, and that is, of course, porting the game. Now, obviously, for most people who are listening to us right now, they have probably played Are Delicious on the PC, but I know you've also released mobile versions as well, and this is one of the more fascinating parts about this, is that as someone who's played both games and has used a keyboard in their spare time just here and there, I can't imagine what it was like porting this game and translating a lot of these controls to the mobile side of things. I guess how did you approach like going to a completely different platform and a completely different control scheme for the cooks or delicious series
1: actually it wasn't too hard um mm-hmm. it, it sounds harder than it probably i felt it was because i didn't want to rebalance anything uh but at the same time i i felt like i could translate that keyboard experience pretty well on touchscreen um and then later on i would add gamepad support uh and that was an interesting experience, trying to mimic the feel of a keyboard on a, on a gamepad. But um, with mobile, I, I for sure didn't want to change up any of the challenges. All the order, speeds, and everything about the gameplay is exactly the same from the PC. Uh, I didn't want to slow down anything to do touch. Um, and I implemented some gesture-like stuff for the chores, because I thought that would be pretty fun. But it was mostly just mapping um, the buttons in a way to where I knew where the player's hands were going to be and uh, just making it very easily accessible so they could run through those orders. And um, yeah, it actually wasn't too bad. Uh, I just really the only hardest thing about it was porting to mobile itself. I just hate that platform so much because <laughs> it's so difficult. Uh, it's very, very time consuming. The audience is a very different segment of people that I'm used to. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not to say it's bad or anything, but they're used to a different standard than I think PC gamers are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, gosh, I, I know a lot of people have asked about Certalicious 2 on mobile, and I'm wanting to do that, but I'm in no hurry to do that because, <laughs> goodness, I, I, I just hate working on mobile games. It's just so difficult as far as, Keeping up with the OS, and you know, if Apple makes a decision that affects your game, like I released Cooks Are Delicious a few years ago for mobile, and every couple of years something will happen, and uh, I have to go back to that old code and port it on the new uh, OS that Apple released, uh, iOS, you know, seven or eight, mm-hmm. and something will happen, and your customers. Pretty much, practically demand like lifetime service,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and you know it's that's not exactly you know one hundred percent true, but it, it I feel like I'm always going to be tied to that mobile game, uh, having to update it for some reason,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, mainly due to the platform holders. Uh, I know I understand they have to change stuff, but anyway, that was way <laughs> more than you probably asked. But I just <laughs> I had to rant a little bit about mobile because gosh, that space is not fun.
0: Mm-hmm. That's another <laughs> topic we could easily segue into. We had the time today. <laughs> yeah. But uh, speaking about the other platform, as you said, you ported uh, Cookstar Delicious too. That is available on PSN. Is that right?
1: Uh, it will be. We're going to be working oh. on that uh, this year and uh, hopefully releasing it very soon.
0: Hmm. I guess as an interest question, I'm not sure if you've gathered any data on this, David, but how has Coke Serve Delicious, at least the first one, did on the console? Like, Did you release it on the console as well?
1: No, I ended up... We did do a test run okay. on that. Um, GameMaker ported it to PlayStation just to show off at an expo. Uh, but we, we didn't actually formally okay. uh, release it on PS4. Uh, it was always an idea that we could, but by the time... That came around, and I could do it. I was already making Cooks or Delicious 2, and I didn't want to uh, take my attention off of that.
0: All right. Yeah, so I'm going to be interested to see how the market responds to Cooks are Delicious 2 when it goes to the console side. Because one of the things that we've seen, and going back to what we were talking about in the first part, regarding kind of how the independent space has grown, is we're seeing more independent games making the jump from PC to console. And it's giving console gamers a chance to try out games that I think they probably have never played before.
1: Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, It's pretty neat. And I feel like the space is better on console than it is on PC. Um, Hmm. There's a little bit more room to breathe in a way.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, again, as we've said just before with the mobile side, it's definitely a different marketplace compared to PC. And hell, we could even break down PC into the different sites like Humble, GOG, EGIO, and of course, obviously Steam. And it's definitely going to be very telling, I think, in the next few years to kind of see... Where, if the consoles really do embrace the independent scene, I was talking to a previous guest, probably at the time of this podcast a few months ago, where we talked about how Nintendo has been making a really strong push to court independent developers.
1: Yeah, they've been really exciting to see because this kind of came out of nowhere Mm -hmm. Kind of similar to how PlayStation opened up uh, at the beginning of the PlayStation 4's life cycle. Uh, Xbox went through it with Xbox Live, Mm -hmm. um, and then PlayStation did announce Nintendo's turn to kind of have the love for indies in a way. Mm -hmm. So it's really exciting. I I love my Switch. It's my favorite console. (laughs) And I, um, yeah, it's been really fascinating seeing that play out.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And, as we said at the start, we are recording this just at the start of May right now, so we still have the rest of the year to see how the switch will do we've all we've already seen the reports about the switch being nintendo's i think it's been their one of their best selling consoles to date, and that could translate to some very a very big marketplace for independent developers going forward. But I think there's also that worse, and I know a lot of people have been saying this, that by the time all the pen developers move over to the Switch, they'll run into the same overcrowding issue.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Nintendo's eShop isn't doing them any favors. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to discover games yes. there. Um, it's a problem that you always run into. Um, like PlayStation just has just a million different releases every mm-hmm. week. And, um, Xbox is very fragmented. I, I'm not a fan of what they're doing. I understand why they're doing it, but the, there's just, even on that platform with the creators club and with the windows store and, uh, play anywhere, it's, it's, it you just get, uh, into that problem of curation in a way yeah. where you want platform holders to kind of curate and make, you know, front page front pages and and display games that they think uh, are the big hitters for the week and stuff like that. And I think there's value to that. And I think Nintendo needs to kind of, I don't know, it it would be nice to have a curated storefront, but at the same time not disallow any releases that Mm
2: -hmm.
1: indie developers want to release on Switch.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, They're being picky right now, which is good. I think curation can help things. Yeah. I don't think it's the answer for everything. I certainly don't.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think it's good that steam to open their doors, uh, you know, mm-hmm. but um, it'll be interesting to see how Nintendo tackles this problem because it is very much a problem uh, even today and it's only going to get worse.
0: Yeah. And again, if we had the time to discuss it, David, we could probably spend like another hour on some of these topics. Yeah, but I know you have to get going in about 15 minutes so we'll move on to I think my final set of questions and that's discussing what is the future for Cooks Serve Delicious and then I will let you go for the afternoon sure so, um, um, to start with as we said at the beginning of the cast you are currently working on the free update to Cooks Serve Delicious to the barista update so for the folks listening to us right now what are you planning for that release
1: Uh, Well, it's going to be some new foods. It'll be uh, new um, coffee shop kind of pastries and drinks and coffees and lattes and espressos, just a bunch of fun stuff that's really been neat for me because I was a barista for many years and uh, it's been neat to tap into that uh, and kind of just play like I used to my old job in a way. (laughs) And uh, we're doing that one and then right after that I'm going to be focusing very hard on the PlayStation 4 port, uh, trying to get that done as fast as I can and uh, release that. And we will be looking at other consoles after that, um, hopefully in the first quarter of 2019. And as far as that goes, we, we definitely have other plans. I don't think Cookserve Delicious 2 is going to be the last Cookserve Delicious game we're going to see out there. Nice. Uh, I've found... I was very much intending for that to be the last game because <laughs> I, I would like to move on to other things. I think it'd be fun. But, you know, um, I think there's there's other avenues I can explore. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I, I don't think that I'm quite done with cooking games just yet. So we'll <laughs> see what happens.
0: I'm sure a lot of people's hands have just started to hurt for some inexplicable <laughs> reason as you said that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm really excited to see what people think of uh, some of the ideas I have.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, one thing that I found very interesting is, of course, you have multiplayer in terms of like the, like with the second game, is that when you introduced the uh, competitive multiplayer? Like, is that online or is that local?
1: Uh, It's local. Um, The first game had a little bit of competitive. It also has uh, kind of a co-op where one person sends the order to the chef and the chef makes it. Uh, for the sequel, we ended up doing local co-op where both people can cook at the same time. Um, and we're looking into maybe some other co-op modes in the future.
0: Mm -hmm. Because we've seen, again, this could be its own topic, we've seen many developers try to experiment with unique uh, cooperative modes in games. I think one of the most famous ones would be that uh, Star Trek that bridge commander game where you have a bunch of people just literally you know, sitting in their house <laughs> using their various computers as Star Trek interfaces. Uh, I know there's other very interesting ones on mobile and VR. And it would be very crazy to see, like, a cooperative, cook-serve-delicious game. Although I'm sure that would probably ruin a lot of friendships in the process.
1: Oh. <laughs> you know, I... Uh... I have kind of those ideas. Uh, It would never be online. Online Mm -hmm. is something that I wouldn't really want to focus on because it's very difficult for indie devs to make a very good solid online component. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, we, the co op that we have in uh, the second game, it's very much uh, uh, like a normal co op with split screen. But a lot of people miss that. unique co-op that i implemented in the first game Mm -hmm. which was really due to coding limitations that i had to do it that way and ended up being really neat for a lot of people because their um friend that doesn't play very many games can play that easily uh and in this one you kind of need two like skilled individuals to to make it work Mm -hmm. um so there's some neat co-op things that i that i've kind of had in my head that would be really neat but i think would probably take its own game kind of like Star Trek Bridge Crew or something where i don't know i i don't want to say it cuz maybe i'll end up doing it at some point but i totally agree like there's some room in the cooking space to make some really neat co-op experiences
2: mhm
0: now, one other question regarding the design of going from one to two that I forgot to ask that I definitely want to touch on is growing and iterating it out. Cause this is a very common challenge for any developer, not just an in independent space, as to how do you take a sequel and go from there? Because we see essentially two different philosophies. You see the developers who go for a completely different sequel, you know, they go you know, they double down, they try to make it even bigger and grander than the first one, and then you have sequels that tend to iterate on a few specific mechanics, but generally keep the same foundation and structure. Now, we've spent a good part of our cast today talking about some of the changes to the progression system, to the management sim side, but when you start thinking about going from Cook, Serve, Delicious 1 to the sequel, I guess... What was your thought process in terms of how far you wanted to take things away or grow from the first game?
1: I think I fall into the trap that I think a lot of people pursue when they're making a sequel is that I know why my game worked the last time mm-hmm. and I know how to make it better the next time. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not necessarily always true. In fact, that's almost never true. <laughs> I've found that, you know people have said that maybe don't like the game but say I have no idea what made the first game special and in a way, you know, they're right because I think everybody comes away from a game with their own expectations, with their own likes and dislikes and, you know, I it, you can't meet everybody mm-hmm. uh, pretty much with a single game there, there's no way to please everybody um, and I think you do you either fall into that trap of Making something just a little bit better, but keeping that same foundation or just going for it. And I think for many companies, it's just much easier to kind of iterate and not go too far outside the lines Mm -hmm. because they have focus groups. They have all kinds of marketing studies. They know what works. They make the right business choices. Uh, independent developers are not business people. They make all the wrong business choices. And I think it's very boring for a lot of them, including myself, to just kind of do something very much the same. And, um, I think for indie devs, they do it for as much, uh, they do it for the love of making games too. And I don't think anybody wants to be trapped in like a 10 year cycle of making the same Mm -hmm. game. I think that's why you see a lot of indie games kind of go for it and certainly that's why I went for it because I thought I could make something just really something completely new and my um I always thought well if people don't like it they can always have they always have that first game. Uh I want to make something different with the second one. And I think it always catches people off guard. I, that's what the Nidhogg people did also and uh they a lot of people didn't like that art style. I think it's a fantastic sequel. And it hurts. It hurts to see people just kind of outright reject mm-hmm. games because they're not completely the same. Yeah. But I get it. They're not wrong. Um, that's how they feel about it. Uh, so when I went into the sequel, it was very much not so much I'm just going to make it completely different because that's what I want to do. It's, oh, I know how to make this better, and I have to change everything if I'm going to do that. Mm. And... um I don't know. I, I think it works. I think the sequel is very fun. I like it way more than the first game. But I think people just developers just have to be so careful because you can easily tip over and, in a sense, lose everything that people liked about the first one.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's just it's so hard. It is so hard. Um, yeah. I I don't know. It, it's very hard.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know. And yeah, sometimes it's, it can be very hard to put your finger on just what made one game work as opposed to the other. And as you said, like with some of these independent games, it can be very risky, I think, when developers try to essentially break what worked the first time. And then try and rediscover the magic again the second time, and I, there are examples I can think of. and I'm sure there's some you probably know of as well of developers who've sadly essentially broke what fit what worked and weren't able to get it fixed.
1: Oh yeah, I mean there's certainly been sequels where I totally fell out of love with the game,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and you know I at the time I, I think you just want to blame the developer and you know be mad about it, but. As becoming a developer, you, I start to realize, oh, I see what, where they were coming from, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, it's it's it opened my eyes a little bit more. I I uh, I think it's great to always kind of go for it. I'd rather have something completely new, even if I hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but At the same time, you know, the makers of Rogue Legacy made that Full Metal Furies game. I love Full Metal Furies. I think it's great, but gosh, you know, I think about a Rogue Legacy 2 and it kills me because I'm like, oh, I would love something <laughs> like that. And I don't even care if it's the same game, just new levels. They would be fantastic. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's <laughs> it's a weird frame of that that you kind of just get yourself into
0: Mm -hmm. and as you said earlier with uh, doing cooks are Delicious for the mobile side of things, it can be very hard for developers when it comes to sometimes supporting these games for a very long time and we see things both ways, we've seen games that go for two plus years of additional support and DLC and more features and then games that once they're done outside of like a bounce patch or a quality of life patch that's it. The developer is done with that game. They're not going to work on it anymore. And Mm -hmm. there are obviously major pros and cons to both approaches. I
1: feel like um, I used to be in that camp of support your game for years. Mm -hmm. Um, But now, not as much. I think a lot of games as a service, that works fine, that works good. Mm -hmm. Um, But I see the return of what a free expansion would do uh, for a game and more and more players move on to the next game. I think, yeah. I think there's less of a game kind of just dominating the space for years at a time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that's partly due to Twitch and the way Twitch works now. Uh, you know, streamers are always looking for the next game. Um, you know, cooks are delicious. Uh, the first one was very much a slow, slow grower. And, uh, would make good money for months. And, uh, you know, you had this ragu- gradual curve kind of. Mm-hmm. And with the sequel, it's very much, uh, first month sales have been more than these last few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just a massive opening more than I think the first Cooks are Delicious made, uh, I made in a week than Cooks are Delicious made in months, mm-hmm. uh, when it first released. Uh, but I'm forecasting that I don't know if it'll make as much as the first game did. Uh, even though I'm getting all that money super fast, like making lots of it, it's in a much more compressed time frame. And I think the fall-off of the sequel and future games is going to be much more severe because there's just so many games out there. Exactly, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't necessarily think it's um, as an ideal a strategy as it used to be where you just not that I'm not going to support Cooks are delicious I mean obviously releasing that barista pack but mm-hmm. um, the idea of okay here's my 3 year roadmap for Cooks are delicious 2 that's not financially going to work yeah. out if I was to do that
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I hear the same thing I spoke to a uh, game developer Jake Burgett of Grailing Games who last year released his game Shadow Hand And he's spoken about kind of the push and pull of the market and how that really affected what his long-term plans for that game was. Because as you're no doubt aware, David, I'm sure for any developers listening, it's great to think about, you know, the next two to five years of your life working on the same game. But it is a different story in terms of just how much revenue that's going to bring in to keep your game going. Because we've seen developers, again, with kind of the struggles of the independent side who kind of fall down the hole chasing that additional content and thinking that it will lead to greater sales.
1: Yeah. Like, I I can... I have some plans for uh, the barista pack. We're going to be doing it with the promotional uh, marketing, and we're just going to kind of push it hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at it from a you know, what... a this exposure with or without the barista pack netted the same amount of cells. Mm-hmm. And um, this is more for the fans. You know, I want to do this. I think it's fun, but at the same time, I, it's not like it used to be where I'm thinking, okay, this will keep my game viable for the next year or two mm-hmm. uh, with these big expansions. It's, it doesn't work out that way anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the way you communicate it to your audience is so important, you know, you don't want to say, you know what, this game's not profitable, so we're stopping, work on it. Mm -hmm. You want to leave it in a place where it feels good, and it feels complete, and so that when you move on to the next game, your fans are ready, Mm -hmm. you know, your community's ready to join the next game. And that's very difficult as well. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to see that hard cutoff um, with kind of like console releases, and once you start porting games, then maybe you stop expecting so many big expansion kind of releases. Uh, it it kind of has its own life cycle. And I think a lot of people are kind of adjusting to it. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. It's it's very different from where it was even just four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all about communication and communicating why you're doing something or why not you're doing something.
0: Yeah. And if we had the time, I would definitely like to explore that more with you, David, especially about the importance of building a community and fostering, especially for an independent developer. But I know we are just about at our time for the evening. So with that said, I have a few uh, last questions for you and then we will say goodbye. So the first one is Again, we've spoken a lot about Cookstar Delicious 1 and 2 over this cast. Is there anything relating to the design, development, just anything regarding both games in general that we didn't touch on that you'd like to bring up?
1: Um, I think the stress of releasing the sequel is actually pretty interesting. I'm going to be releasing a Gamma Sutra article on that, that touch bases on what I was really going through from an emotional standpoint in a way, because I think that's also important to see just what a launch day looks like for a developer yeah. that has these new expectations. Because, you know, we hear a lot from the other side of, you know, I released my game and nobody cares. There's a whole nother level of, well, I released this game and far too many people care, and now <laughs> I'm just a broken mess. Mm. And uh, so that... is a a very personal article that I'm really curious to see if other people have the same experience. Um, And I'll be, I'll be posting that sometime in May.
0: All right. Yeah. And, That's definitely another topic in and of itself, and I've been trying to educate people around here, and especially with my videos on the YouTube channel, about just what goes into making these games. And And as we talked about earlier in the podcast, there's definitely a lot of assumptions about what goes into game development that the consumer or even students don't really quite get. And game design is one of those fields that you really don't understand until you try and do it on your own.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: Mm -hmm. And I guess uh, for right now, for anyone listening, is there an actual date for the Barisa update, or is it just right now set for June?
1: Right now, we just have June. Uh, I should have... A final day hopefully before the end of May <laughs> alright so, yeah we'll see <laughs>
0: alright and then I think with that my last question for you for tonight David is do you have any final thoughts or anything you'd like to say to the fans listening to wrap up our cast with
1: you know I hope I wasn't being discouraging or anything uh, it's easy like I said to be very negative um, it's weird, weirdly enough like I love what I do I think if you love game making you should go for it absolutely I think you should manage expectations, I feel like, um, which is what I did. I I worked full-time as a barista. I was not using – I didn't quit my job until I was confident the money was going to be coming in, uh, and I was confident that, that I was able to supplement my life with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it's not necessarily something that I don't think – if people, if you love to make games and you feel like you want to make that your life, I mean, go for it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But if you're coming into it with a, well, I think business-wise, I have a few ideas that, I mean, you can't. You can't come at it like that. You have to have a passion for game-making, I think. And you'll make it work somehow. <laughs>
2: um,
1: and I think it uh, it does take a little bit of luck. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult. But at the same time, it's never been easier to make and release a game.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. And again, there's just so much we could get into now. But if you're a game for in the future, David, we can always have you back on for either a live or recorded talk.
1: Sure, that's great. That sounds good.
0: All right. So with that said, we are going to wrap things up for this week's podcast. Again, thank you so much for coming on and the best of luck with the Barista update when it's released, hopefully next month.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Not a problem. And for you folks listening to us now, be sure to check out Cook Serve Delicious too. It's available on mobile, PC. Um, it's on a Mac too, right? Um, yes, and on Linux as well. All right, and of course, hopefully in the by the end of the year, it should be available on PlayStation or PSN. Yes, hopefully so. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, again, definitely the best of luck with everything. For people listening who would like to follow you, uh, do you have like any Twitter, Facebook, or things like that to mention?
1: Yeah, I have uh, Chubigans on Twitter, C-H-U-B-I-G-A-N-S. Uh, and uh, we have Facebook, Are Delicious page, and uh, I'm also on Tumblr. And Yeah, you can just go to com and read more about it.
0: Awesome. Alright, so with that said, we are going to end things here for this week's cast. If you'd like to support Game Wisdom and what I do, there's always several options available. You can follow me on Twitter at G.W. Biser, we now have our discord channel open to the public you can find that as well as ways to support us through patreon on patreon.com slash your donations can help to keep us going and allow us to grow with more content and be sure to check out the game wisdom youtube channel for daily videos and discussions on game design as well as when we do live developer talks Other than that, I think that is it for me. So, once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Perceptive Podcast. I'll be back next week to talk more about the art and craft of game design. So, until then, have a great rest of the week, and I will see you all next time.